0: I want to wish you a a good morning, a happy Sunday morning to you, and I want to thank you for joining us online. Let me remind you that next Sunday, July the 25th, we will return, the Lord willing, to in-person worship. We will have some of the youth leading us and telling us a bit about their mission trip to Alaska and possibly some other things that they may include And then also Kevin Knight will be bringing the message. So we look forward to that service as we are hopefully able to meet in person once again. Let me remind you, if you're joining us for the first time, perhaps online in in some some number of weeks, while we are online again, uh, last week I received an email and a call from the Cabarrus Health Alliance. And they had determined that, according to their records and the studies their caseworkers do, that we have uh, eleven uh, COVID cases, and that five of these could be uh, listed as what they call a cluster. Now, I know some of you may uh, wonder what is the definition of a cluster, and so let me let me just read to you some of the. Uh, items that they sent me in print that I could share. And uh, what they indicated was that with this cluster they were able to determine that five cases, possibly, not not for sure, but very likely could be traced to an event or a service sometime in the last half of June. So again, a cluster is, The minimum of five COVID-19 cases with illness onset or initial positive test results within a 14-day period with plausible or possible linkage between cases. And that just simply means that they believe they can link cases together based on setting and time period and uh, a cluster setting, being able to trace it uh, to a likely source of Exposure. Now, as a result, they recommended this two-week pause of in-person gatherings to eliminate any further viral transmission. It's been their experience, whether in the educational setting, the business setting, or the religious setting, where they have seen organizations shut down for two weeks, that the cases they have have been effectively flushed out, And when the organization regathered to in-person meetings, the cases did not resurface. And so that is certainly our prayer. Let me add also that I spoke to a pastor, one of our Cabarrus Baptist Association pastors, of a church very similar to Pitts in size and makeup. And he told me, he said, Scott, just to share a word of personal testimony uh, with you, he said earlier this year we we saw a spike in cases uh, develop and uh, we shut down for the two week period and he said it was very effective for us. It did flush it out of the congregation and when we regathered after two weeks we did not see a reemergence. So after all of this information came in uh, we called a meeting with the deacons and all the pastoral staff. And we discussed this situation and the recommendation of the Cabarrus Health Alliance. And we voted unanimously that we would indeed pause in-person worship for two weeks. I also committed that I would read three of their recommendations that that they hoped that I would share. And I'll just simply, as I committed uh, to read these to you, uh, number one, that congregants be made aware of the present situation. Number two, that congregants carefully monitor themselves and their families for COVID nineteen symptoms. And number three, that uh, congregants become fully vaccinated. That was the three recommendations that uh, they hoped that I would share with you, and uh, happy to do so. Uh, Please continue to pray for the families in our congregation that are currently fighting COVID. Uh, we know about the Dees family with Bart Deese. Also the Phillips family. Uh, Dave Phillips is home from the hospital now, but still very weak. And Nob Zalmi, who is back in the hospital... I just learned this weekend he's back in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. So pray for these families, and there may be others that you are (coughs) aware of. Additionally, let me ask you to pray for Ned Finney. Ned Finney in our church was traveling, and he was involved in a very serious car accident uh, out of state. He broke his neck, his shoulder, his foot. He broke five ribs and he punctured a lung. And so he is in the hospital out of state. So continue to pray for him as well and those tending to his needs. I want to ask you at this time if you would find your Bibles. And we're going to return to our study on the Ten Commandments. And we're going to finish out the Ten Commandments study today looking at the tenth one. And I've entitled the message, The Mother of All Sins. And I think it'll become apparent to you as we go through the message why I've entitled it that. But if you'll find Exodus chapter 20, and I'll be reading this morning from the NIV, and let's begin reading at verse 17, and I'll read all the way down through verse 21. And as I've invited you to do when we're online, you can stand in in the privacy of your home. Stand for the reading of God's Word if you feel led uh, to do so. Exodus 20 verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful for your word. This is your word. It is inspired. And it is fully trustworthy. It is inerrant. And Lord, you've given us your word so that we might come to know you. And so that we might come to know how to be saved and then to live the Christian life. And that we would live in expectancy of your return one day. Lord, we thank you for the study of the Ten Commandments. And as we've already stated in this study, we know that the Ten Commandments are not a vehicle for salvation. You did not give the law in order to save But we see in the Old Testament the law that is like a mirror that points out our sin and our need of your divine grace. And the law should drive us to Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then once having Christ in our lives to live a godly life, we see also in the law what your holy standards are for your covenant people, how we are to live. So, Lord, open our hearts this morning as we finish out this study and we look at the sin of coveting. Lord, we know it's a sin that is so easy to conceal in our hearts. But, God, you see our hearts. I pray that we would be broken before you and repentant. Lord, that you would speak to us through this message God, we do indeed pray for those in our fellowship struggling with COVID. We pray for the Dees family, for the Phillips family, also for the Zalmis, that you would touch them with your hand of healing. God, whether you heal them supernaturally yourself, or whether you use doctors and nurses and medicines, howsoever you choose, God, we just simply plead with you that you would heal these folks and return them very soon to their families and strengthen them day by day. Be with their medical team and give them wisdom hour by hour and day by day so that they'll treat them in the most effective and efficient way possible. And Father, we want to pray also for Ned involved in a terrible car accident. Lord, we pray the same for him that you would be with his medical team. And we pray that you would bring healing to his body. Now, Lord, this time is yours. Again, we ask that through the power of your Spirit, that you would speak to us in your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember many years ago, before the first Persian Gulf War, Saddam Hussein said that it was going to be the mother of all battles. Now, obviously and fortunately, it was far from that. Now, as we draw this series to a close today, and we, we look at the Tenth Commandment, we will see why the breaking of this commandment can appropriately be referred to as the mother of all sins. The breaking of this commandment seems to actually be behind the breaking of the other commandments, at least to some degree. For instance, the first two tell us that we're not to have any other gods before the Lord. Colossians 3 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And so when we covet... We place something idolatrous before God and we break the first two commandments. The third commandment says that we're not to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Because of covetousness in our hearts, uh, or I should say in their hearts, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Lord and they took his name in vain. The fourth commandment tells us that we're to remember the Sabbath day. You know, it's one thing when a person has to work on the Lord's day. They don't have any choice. They're under authorities that if they want their job, they have to do that. But I want you to think of the countless business openings, the countless people having to work simply because maybe some of those in ownership or above them might be covetous over making one more dollar. And so all of these employees have to work on the Lord's day. The fifth commandment says that we're to honor our parents. Think of people who out of covetousness are not taking care of their parents in later years. And here again I'm speaking of couples that could take care of their parents. But they don't want to because they want to buy a vacation home or a Or a new home for themselves or something of that nature. They don't want to share anything with their parents who might be in need. The sixth commandment says thou shalt not kill. Think of murders that happen because somebody has something that someone else wants and they're even willing to kill to obtain it. The seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery. Again, somebody breaks the tenth commandment. They covet somebody else's wife or husband. They commit adultery. And so you can see how almost in all of the commandments, in some way or another, some fashion, they tie in with this tenth commandment. Now, you can also see a bit of a difference between this commandment and perhaps as many as six or seven of the other commandments. When you look at this commandment, and I would also include along with this one, adultery and murder and covetousness, all of these three seem to deal not just simply with the outward act, but where do these commandments begin? They begin in the heart. And so this commandment deals with the inward aspect of a person. You know, there's one thing about this Tenth Commandment. You can break this commandment and probably conceal it pretty well from the eyesight of others. In this Tenth Commandment, we're going to see that God wants us to be content with what we have, with what He's given to each of us. And we're not to desire that which belongs to somebody else. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. The first thing I want you to see with me is covetousness explained. Let's define it today. Covetousness has at its root a desire or a passion to have, to possess, or to desire more. It's usually an excessive desire. It's when It's when a desire for something that is not yours becomes a passion in your life. Modern words that are similar in meaning to covetousness would be words like materialism or greed. It's also an envious desire. You want something so earnestly that belongs to somebody else. It's not rightfully yours. It's theirs. But you want it. I want to make something clear though. Not all desire in and of itself is bad. For instance, if you desire to be a godly person, that's a good desire. If you desire to become a man or a woman of prayer, that is a good desire. If you desire to grow up and marry a godly person and having a Christ-honoring home, that is a good desire. And so desire in and of itself is not wrong. For instance in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 31 Paul tells us that we are to covet spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. And so clearly not all desire is wrong. Covetousness, or that which the 10th commandment is addressing is a misplaced desire for someone or something that is not rightfully yours. Now folks, let's talk first of all under the explanation of it. Let's talk about the subtleness of it. We know that it's a matter of the heart you remember in mark chapter 7 when the pharisees and the religious leaders were accusing jesus and his disciples they didn't like the way that they were not washing their hands and jesus talked to them about some of their traditions and uh, he reminded them he says that which proceeds out of the man that is what defiles the man For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. And so coveting is a matter of the heart. It's often hidden to the world unless it results in actions that clearly show it. D.L. Moody once spoke on covetousness. He said, Whoever heard covetousness confessed as sin? He said, I have heard many confessions in public and in private during the past 40 years of ministry, but never have I heard a man confess that he was guilty of this sin. Let's think also about the fruit of it. In verse 17, let me read it again. We we read these words, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We covet things. We want the fishing boat that our neighbor has. We want the house, or the SUV, or the pickup truck. That our neighbor has. A young couple perhaps. Covets the vehicle. Their friends are able to buy. To haul their children around in. A senior adult couple may resent their friends because maybe their friends, some of them have more resources than they have in retirement. And they're able to go places and do things that this couple is not able to do. And so not only is there some resentment in their hearts, but maybe some covetousness. You know, folks, we can even see it in toddlers playing on the playground. One of them picks up a toy. And all of a sudden some of the other toddlers rush over there and they want that toy that that one toddler has. Another example, a young man or young woman sees all of their friends beginning to get married, uh, perhaps out of college. And so they covet a relationship like that. They wish they could find somebody and Mary. We're always playing this comparison game. We lust after things and we always want more. James says in James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain and so you fight and quarrel. Many years ago, somebody asked America's richest man how much more that he wanted. And the rich man respond, responded by saying, just a little bit more. You know, I thought it was ironic the other day. Uh, driving home from church, going for supper, I-, I said the other day, actually some time ago, and, and there was a man in a brand new Silverado pickup in front of me at the light and on the back bumper it said time to go shopping and I thought you know that explains society doesn't it let's shop we want to have more we always want more we covet things that somebody else has I read a fun, funny story about this, about even the animal world. There, there's a story about a, a, a dog with a big stake in its mouth. And it grabbed up that stake and it ran away with it. And as it ran away, it crossed through a farmer's fields and by his pond. And when the dog got to the edge of the water at the farmer's pond, he, he glanced down into the water and what did he see? He saw a dog in the water looking back at him. And that dog had a stake in its mouth. And that stake looked bigger than his. And so what did that dog do? That dog dropped his so he could get that one. Of course, we know what happened to his. It fell into the pond. The grass is always greener on the other side, it seems. Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street with with his two sons, both of whom were crying. What's the matter with your boys, asked a passerby. Lincoln said exactly what's wrong with the rest of the world. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two of them. We covet positions. Somebody else gets the job that we wanted. Somebody gets the promotion that we wanted. We covet their position and we secretly resent them or we don't cooperate with their authority because we wanted their position for ourselves. Even in church, somebody can be asked to do something that somebody else wanted to do and we get our feelings hurt because we coveted that place of service. We covet people. A man goes to work. He looks at his female coworker, who may be, in his eyes, uh, more attractive. On the outside, that is, more attractive than his wife. And he lusts after her in his heart. He covets her for his own. Or a female worker observes the relationship that her male co-worker has with his wife. And secretly inside, she's jealous and envious because... She doesn't have that kind of marriage. She covets that relationship. I think of the destructiveness of all of this. This can end up being so incredibly destructive. We know there can be temporary destruction. For instance, on the night of November 16, 1930, Mrs. Henrietta Garrett a lonely 81-year-old widow died in her home in Philadelphia. Without realizing it, she started the most fantastic case of inheritance litigation in history up until that time. You see, she had failed to leave a will Or no will was found to her $17 million estate. Now folks, think about $17 million back in 1930. I mean, that's a lot of money today. But think about it in 1930. She had expertly handled all of her financial affairs since her husband's death in 1895... And and therefore, a lot of people felt that she must have realized that without a will, her fortune would become become involved and embroiled in legal battles. Well, although Mrs. Garrett at the time of her death had only one known relative, a second cousin, and less than a dozen friends, even though that was the case, there were all kinds of attempts to prove that people had relationships to her and had claims to her property. In fact, there were more than 26,000 persons from 47 states and 29 foreign countries who were represented by more than 3,000 lawyers That stepped forward to try to get a piece of the pot. And in their efforts to get their hands on some of this 17 million dollars. There were those who committed perjury. They faked family records, they changed their names, they altered information in family Bibles, and they concocted all kinds of tales of illegitimacy. And as a result of this, 12 arrests were made, 10 received jail sentences, 2 committed suicide, and 3 were murdered. Think of all that destruction because of covetousness. Well, we know that there's also eternal destruction. Covetousness can keep people from being saved. I think of the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus on occasion and said, Master, what must I do? To have eternal life. And, And Jesus told that rich young ruler something that he did not say to everybody. But see he knew what was in that rich young ruler's heart. He said go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that he hung his head. He was despondent and he walked away. He was not willing to do that. Think of going into eternity that way. Standing before the Lord, knowing you had the opportunity to follow Christ, and you had turned away, and now you were facing eternal destruction. Now, lest you think that's just the story of one person on the pages of Scripture, I want to remind you that there were passages of Scripture scripture in Colossians, Galatians, and Ephesians, Particularly, I think of that one in Ephesians 5, where Paul names covetousness. In those three passages, he lists sins that if people continue to live in those sins as a lifestyle, they show that they don't have eternal life. And he says, they shall not receive the kingdom of God. And in Ephesians 5, covetousness is one of those sins that Paul says pre- prevent somebody from inheriting the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is. Secondly this morning I want you to see covetousness explained. Or, or excuse me examined. Covetousness examined. Let's see some instances of it in the word of God. Now, folks, we know we don't have to read very far into the pages of Scripture before it shows up. I mean, we find it in the garden in Genesis 3. God has given Adam and Eve every tree of the garden but one. Think about it. Everything, all of the trees, just one that you can't eat from. Now, that's a pretty good good percentage, isn't it? God is a gracious God. He's a benevolent God, but Which tree did Adam and Eve want to eat from? The one that God had said no to. And ever since then, sin has entered into the human race. We could say through the sin of coveting. That's why it's the mother of all sins. I think also of Joshua 6 and 7. The sin of uh, Achan. God delivered Jericho into the hands of the children of Israel. In Joshua 6 verse 18, God said, But but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, lest you covet them, and take some of the things under the ban, so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Well, guess what happened? A man by the name of Achan took some things under the ban. Nobody knew about it at first. It was concealed. Then they went to war against Ai. You know, Ai seemed like small potatoes. It seemed like easy pickings compared to Jericho. But Ai completely defeated Israel. And when they cried out to God about it, God said, why are you crying out? You did what I told you not to do. And I'm not going to bless you until you get this matter right. Well, in chapter 7, we see what God did. God exposed Achan as the guilty party. And Joshua went on to say to him, how could you have brought trouble on us this way? Now, listen to what Achan said. He said, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Do you see the pattern there? Did you you listen to what Achan was saying there? I saw. I coveted. I took. I hid a very distinctive pattern common to covetousness. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 was faced with an individual who presented him with, with a demand really. He said, Lord tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. You want to see covetousness at work? Just wait until you see a family try to divide up grandma and grandpa's belongings. I'm telling you, you'll see covetousness start coming out. How did Jesus respond? Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then what did Jesus do from there? He went on to tell a parable about a rich fool. A rich fool who had a bumper crop one year. And he desired more. He said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger and better ones. And then then there's deception involved in covetousness too, right? Because this rich fool said, I'm going to say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come So take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, folks, this man has mistaken his bank account to be his Bible. You know, you can be well taken care of physically, but you can be impoverished spiritually. This guy, because he mistook his bank account as being his Bible, he forgot the most important things in life. And what did God say to him? You fool, this very night your soul shall be required of you. You see, covetousness deceives us into looking at life from only one vantage point of the material. The material is all that seems to matter. And we... We miss what's really going on. That's the danger. And we don't see what covetousness is doing to our heart, our mind, our soul, the way it's destroying us from within, and then from the outward actions that comes from it. Now after seeing covetousness explained, and after seeing it examined, let's look at covetousness expelled. How do we deal with it? How do we get rid of it? Well, first of all, realize its presence. Could we say it this way? Realize its ugly presence. It's there for all of us, it seems to be built into the very fabric of fallen human nature. And so just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, be on guard against it. Folks, we have to realize its ugly presence, recognize it, and be on guard against it. But we also have to resist it. How? We need to have a change of focus. You know, we're going to focus on something. Have a change of focus. I like what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, verses 1 to 5. He says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We need to have a change of focus. And we need to ask God to help us have the proper focus, the proper desires. And fill your hearts and minds with those things. Not only have that change of focus, but Paul mentions here in verse 5, have a change of behavior. Mortify, mortify the deeds of the flesh. You know, our word mortician comes from this word mortify. What does a mortician do? He buries the dead bury the dead works of your flesh nature. You see, folks, you and I have two natures in us. If you're a child of God, you have two natures, the old man and the new man. Now, a lost man, apart from Christ, just has the one nature, the old man. But when you're born again, you also have the new man, a new nature. And you know what? Because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help us help, help us to seek God and bury the deeds of the flesh. Through the power of the Spirit, we need to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We also need a change of emotions. Colossians 3:15. Paul says there, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. You say, Scott, what are you saying here exactly? I'm saying give thanks for what you do have, for what you're blessed with. Instead of concentrating on what you don't have and what you want, be grateful for what you do have. And then listen to what Paul says about love in Romans 13 verse 8. He says, "'Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law.'" The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There's this ongoing debt to love. You know, if I'm loving somebody, if I'm loving somebody... The way Jesus would have me to love them. I'm not coveting what they have. I'm not desiring to cheat them out of it. To steal it from them. To take in some way what they have. Why? Because I love them. I'm happy for them. Something else we also need to do. Instead of realizing it's ugly presence. And resisting it. We need to learn contentment. Folks, this is such a big one. I think of Jeremiah chapter 2. God asks a series of questions. Beginning there in verse 11, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah says, Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Broken cisterns. Think about that. The people weren't satisfied with the cisterns they had. They dug out for themselves others, but they were broken cisterns. You see, folks, more cannot make you happy. You and I were created for fellowship and communion with God. Whatever you and I put in place of God, it absolutely will not satisfy our soul. And you know what? it's going to leak also. It's going to leak because it'll be a broken cistern. And we're going to end up empty inside. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment. Whatever circumstances you find yourselves in. And then Paul says to Timothy in Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what he says about contentment. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires "...which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs." So folks, we need to learn contentment. And then one other thing here. We need to give. We need to be givers, not takers. Listen to what Paul continues to say there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Powerful words. Now folks, let's begin to wrap this up. Let me just draw some conclusions here. I want to close this series on the Ten Commandments by showing, by showing all of us how desperately we need a Savior. You see, every one of us here has broken each of the Ten Commandments. You say, well, preacher, I resent that. I've not broken all of the Ten Commandments. Yes, you have. Because remember what James says in James 2. You sin one time. You break one commandment and you have sinned against the whole. You're guilty of breaking the whole. I've given you the illustration before. If if you took a Bible and you ripped just one entire page out of it, there's a sense in which you've sinned against the whole. You've diminished the whole. So you see in that sense, every one of us, the Bible says, has broken all of the commandments of God. And you know that's the way sin is. You may not have committed adultery. You may not have murdered. You may not be guilty of dishonoring your parents. Yet you're guilty. And I don't think there's a one of us that could say that we haven't coveted something at some time or another. And by doing this we've sinned against all the commandments. What I'm saying is that sh- this shows us how much we need a Savior. We're sinners. We've broken God's laws. We've come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But you know the good news is the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the same Bible That shows us the bad news also proclaims to us the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Let me also say the commandments reflect how we are to live as the people of God. While at the same time, they reveal to the lost man that there's no way he can fulfill them without a Savior. The commandments are like a mirror that show us, reveal to us our sin. They can't fix that sin. They show us the sin and they drive us to the grace of God, to seeking Him as our Savior and Lord. And at the same time, they do show us what God's standards are, the way God wants us as His covenant people to live. But again, I remind you, man is incapable on his own. He's incapable. We need Christ. And some of you this morning need to say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my heart because I have sinned against your holy commandments. I've sinned against God. And I deserve death. I am guilty. But I ask you to save me, Lord Jesus. Through your death at Calvary's cross, wash me clean of my sins. Live your life through me as my Lord and my Savior. Would you admit that to God today and cry out to Him in brokenness? Do you need help without old man living inside? Is there greed in your heart? If there is, I would challenge you to devote yourself today to a new focus. What I read a few moments ago in Colossians chapter 3. And also ask God to help you with this issue of contentment. Appreciate what God has given to you. Be thankful for that and be content. Allow the Lord to help you to conquer this sin of covetousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this study of your commandments. And it would be my prayer through a study of the Ten Commandments that there would be someone that would recognize their need of your divine grace that you offer in Jesus Christ. And they would come to faith in him, calling upon him to save them. And Father, remind us, those who have come to Christ, that we are to live as salt and light. We are to be different than the world. So again, we thank you for your word. It always applies so relevantly to our lives. Help us to live it out daily. Father, we continue to pray also for those in our church struggling with COVID cases, for these Deese. Dave Phillips, Nob Zalmi, and also we pray for Ned as he recovers from a car accident. May your hand of healing continue to be upon all of these individuals. Lord, this week, help our eyes and ears to be open to opportunities that you set before us to be a witness of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.